the desert of the real. I'm your host, Jason Dietz. Welcome to the Desert of the Real. This is a movie podcast where my co-host Ryan Hudson forces me to watch big blockbuster movies that I refuse to watch because I didn't think they were worth my time. We're two high school, English, film, philosophy, and creativity teachers with graduate degrees. We're using our academic training to dig deeply into movies. We explore the creativity and the philosophy in our films and push our listeners to think critically about their entertainment. However, today is my day. And so, welcome to the desert of the real Jason's Choice. And I am Ryan Hudson. I am the co-host today. Winter's Bone, this is, you wanted to watch Winter's Bone uh, as your second official Jason's Choice because you're sick of Marvel movies, even though you liked Avengers, so you wanted to watch something else. Yes, absolutely. Here's the problem, though. What's that? I kind of liked this movie. You're going to like every, every one month. that I pick. I, I should just... I don't pick crappy movies. I should movies. just pretend like I hate these movies. Um, but I, you like it more than I like it. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. It's good. It was nominated for several Oscars. So that means the people who make movies say it's good. So it didn't win. didn't win best. I don't know if it won anything actually. That's okay. Two, this is 2010, 2011. Yeah. I remember when this came out. I was in high school still. Where are you? Actually, we've gone over that with yeah. the Avengers. Because we seem to be stuck were, in the in the early 2010s with you, our movies. You were in Louisville. Louisville. Well, there you go. <laughs> How do they talk in Louisville? <laughs> they talk like human beings. I don't they know. They say. They say I Louisville. Say, I say, I say. <laughs> no, I never once heard anyone say. I say, I say, I say. I should just start saying that to my no. class. I say, I say, I say, everyone. Uh. <laughs> I, I got to do the summary for Winter's Bone. But the summary is pretty simple. This is, which doesn't mean it's bad, first of all. It's just simple. Uh, Re taking care of her two younger siblings. Her mom doesn't talk. She's basically incapacitated, I suppose. And her dad is missing because the inciting incident is when the police officer says, if your dad doesn't show up to the courthouse, the court takes her house as collateral, yada, yada, yada. The movie is then, I need to find my dad. So it's her going to people, her relatives, her neighbors, tracking down where her dad is. And what she uncovers, what she unravels is like an... Uh, like like an organized crime, basically. And anyway, that's like the movie. Her getting closer to where her dad is. Can she trust those people? Can she trust her uncle? You know, in the end, we find out where her dad is. <laughs> yeah. And everything. And But it's a mystery. That's, that's the first thing I liked is it's like the mystery of where is her dad? And she's not a detective. She's a teenage girl. <laughs> but still, it has all the trimmings and trappings of a, of a mystery. This is a neo-noir. All right. So that's the summary of Winter's Bone. 
Yeah, I would say it's a mystery. I think there's a lot of... It's also kind of a family drama. It's a family film. Not... <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> but for the whole Really, <laughs> I mean, I watch everything on VidAngel, so I don't actually know what got cut. I think it's just language on this one. So, as... Yeah. There's something that's kind of disturbing, but... It's yeah. not, like, graphic by any means. No, it's it's hidden, actually. Like, she gets beat up at one point. You don't even see that happen. No. It's it's just language in this So, movie. I mean, if we're going for, you know, <laughs> an R-rated family film, I guess this would be a good pick. You know what, Dietz? What? I, have, I don't want to breach into philosophy of the real too breach early. away. But aren't you tampering with art by watching <laughs> the edited version of movies? How did it take us eight episodes to get to that question? I think that's interesting. Um, I don't know. What's art? What is art? Isn't art in the uh, eye of the beholder? Mm, no. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, wrong. Well, All right, what's the next answer I have? Um, okay, so I guess, sure, I'll say yes, I am tampering with the intended artistic experience. Yeah. Do I feel bad about that? No, because I think that 99% of the stuff that gets edited out is not necessary mm. in any way. Have you ever watched something edited and we're not sure what you missed? Almost all of them, yeah. Huh. I've actually only watched two movies edited that I was like, what in the flip is going on? Yeah. So, Do you remember what they were? Uh, yeah, that was The Life Aquatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Event Horizon. I haven't seen Event Horizon. Those are it the two seems... that I, I got done and I'm like... I have no idea what just happened yeah. when I watched, but um, yeah, I honestly, I feel like the movies that I watch edited, I have a better experience than people unedited would unedited. That's interesting. I, I have a good friend uh, who <laughs> just objects to the idea of editing, edited content. Well, your good friend is wrong. <laughs> he might listen to this. I mean, I don't know. It's a tricky thing because if you watch too many things, you get desensitized. Right. Like you just get used to <laughs> horrible things. <laughs> In fact, I remember uh, I had a buddy who took, a, I don't know, this is a, a story of a story. Like uh, a buddy who was watching Iron Man that we watched with a girl who did not watch movies. And yeah. like when the guy gets shot at the beginning, like when Iron Man gets taken... She was like, oh, like covering her mouth and stuff. And he was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's true. Like, like, oh, maybe I'm not used to violence. But then again, there are horrible things my eyes have witnessed. Yeah. <laughs> Some movies um, or whatever. So, yeah. So I don't, this is not a commercial for VidAngel, unless they want to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, give us <clears throat> money. Um, but VidAngel allows you to choose basically Every single thing, like, they, you have complete agency over what shows up and doesn't. Yeah. So, 
I mean, I feel like my experience watching, especially if language is the only thing, my experience watching Winter's Bone is better than yours. No? Because I didn't have to listen to people sounding like idiots when they swore, and they couldn't come up with any better way to express their emotion. Yeah, but I guess, I don't know, the classic retort is, don't you hear that language in real life, IRL? So why would I want to hear it also in my entertainment? Hmm. I don't know. I'm like, I go what to about like a PG-13 that has one F-bomb and they can weaponize that like, and like they can hit it and it nails like, oh man, what a good use of the F-bomb there. <laughs> <laughs> if you can give me an example. I have the best example. Hit me. Uh, and I know you've seen it too. It's um, the Steven Spielberg uh, Ready Player One. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the big battle at the end. Someone throwing like a Pokeball or something. But anyway, Chucky comes out. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. It starts killing people, and some guy's like, is that effing Chucky? <laughs> Why does it have to be effing Chucky? Because it do- it's... Why isn't it just, is that Chucky? I don't know. Is That's it... what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm just saying, DJ, it sounds like you want audiences to be critical on what they're watching. Yes. Is that what our podcast is about? Yes. Yes. Why? <laughs> yes, indeed. The Aurora Borealis, <laughs> <laughs> located yeah. at this time of year. So I think, I think uh, yeah, Fit Angel allows us to be more critical yeah. in what we watch. Like we don't have to have this pointless sex scenes. Um, like somebody gets shot. And they die, right? Yeah. Why do we need to see them get shot and their lungs explode out the back and splatter all over the wall? What does that add? Nothing. What movie is that? I don't know. (laughs) Or shot in the head and their brains blow out onto the wall. It's not. It's the same. The result is the same. I don't feel like there's any art in sex scenes or extreme violence. Hmm. There are. Quentin Tarantino is an obvious someone that we could talk about and I'll admit the violence so much where it reverts back to not being violent anymore like that's not how the human body works that's just silly at this point right and so there are moments in Tarantino films where I feel like the violence is important however my go-to example of why it's not is um, Django Unchained is one of my favorite movies Uh uh-huh the most impactful scene in that movie, you don't see anything. So for me, it's when... Is it when, the dogs? Yeah, when Leo unleashes the dogs on this guy. You don't see any of that violence. You just see the reaction of the people watching the violence. I think that's incredibly more powerful than if, than if Tarantino had said, unleash the dogs and then we watch the dogs tear yeah, this poor slave apart. So yeah. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think we need more creativity, Hollywood. I think you need to figure out a way to inspire and shock us without showing naked butts and people's brains getting splattered all over the... Hold on. All right. All right. right. That's my take. (laughs) Right. You're blowing out the mic. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's a passionate moment for me. Uh, Maybe part of the creativity is how violent you can make something. Here's the thing. All right. I saw... It's John Wick 3 in theaters. John, there's a part, <laughs> and I was I saw it in theaters with a packed crowd, and there were kids there. Maybe the kids shouldn't have been there, 
But there's this part where a guy gets stabbed in the eye, and you're, like, right up close with it. And everyone was just going nuts. The energy was so palpable. It's like, yeah! Yeah? <laughs> it was exciting! Because it, it's, it's exciting because of how violent it was. It's okay. I don't know. It's like, look at that crazy thing I just witnessed. We witnessed this. We had a moment together. Yeah. Okay. So and let me... Go ahead. No, you go on. No, you go. Like, on Tarantino, there are violent things. Like, I don't need to go into... Any, you just have to... They're violent. But, you know, when Pulp Fiction... when Is it Marv? They blow Marv's head up. <laughs> like, In the that's car? Not, that's not how a head would probably react. Right. But now it's just kind of as... Not silly, but also silly. Like... <laughs> look, at, look at what just happened. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. <laughs> like, and there are movies catered. Like, not only is there horror, there's gore. And I yes. haven't really watched a lot of, like, hardly anything. Like, Texas, the Texas Chainsaws after the first one. Or, um... The, well, okay, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, go on. I thought of a good example, though. Is a great example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is horrifying. You see, I, I don't think you see any blood at all. Yeah, I don't think so. Other than when the one girl gets put up on the hook. Maybe. Yeah. So none, there's no violence, the on-screen violence, there's no blood. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre routinely ranks in the top ten horror movies ever made. But I guess, yeah, but when the first one came out, it was basically... Uh, not basically. It was like an avant-garde thing. It's like, look yeah. at this thing you've never seen. So were the sequels trying to mature with its audience? No, the sequels were schlock. All right, here's the thing. You The other day, <laughs> we're not even talking about Winter's <laughs> Bone. But oh, yeah, that's what we're... <laughs> but we, the other day, I mentioned the Hayes Code, and you said you didn't know what the Hayes Code was. I don't. So the Hayes Code, in the 19-teens to 1920s, movies were... Basically, there are no rules and laws and stuff. And not that we would think that they were, like, graphic or anything. But at the time, it's like, we need regulations. Like, there's these gangster movies, women in bathtubs, like that type of stuff. And so they got a, a, a real-life crew of people, like priests and things, to put together rules. Hmm. This was called the Hayes Code. And it was only in America and for Hollywood. And there's only, like, five major studios making movies anyway because, like, there's all this weird history of, like, you needed the right... Or, like, Edison had this weird thing back in the day. He owned the rights for a specific film, so that's why they ran. Part of the reason they went to Hollywood is to get away from Thomas Edison and all this stuff huh. because of making cameras and owning cameras and filming. Anyway, so, it basically... To like the, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way to the 60s, movies followed this Hayes Code because it was the rule, the law, where they couldn't have graphic things. But also, obviously, you can't show sex and nudity and violence and stuff. But other things that are very questionable, like, and also kind of racist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah. For, you know, like, uh, you couldn't talk bad about America. You couldn't even imply certain things you had to like and part of it i'm pretty sure one was like uh mixed races couldn't kiss and stuff like that anyway this was like the rule big hollywood had to follow and then what was going on was artists couldn't be feel creative 
but in Europe they could. That's the French New Wave stuff. And all these budding directors were like, "What? If, look at their, look at these French movies. Those are unconventional because they're not studio films and things like that." So they started making their way in America, like New York and stuff. And then people, like into the '60s, started to get. This is where auteur theory theory comes into play, and we're not getting into that. Why? <laughs> because. Because uh, I'm talking way too long. But, like, we have these directors, like, this is, like, a John Ford movie type of thing. And it looks like his type of movie. But the directors, the biggest directors that came from this era of watching the fall of the studios, even though we have big studios now, this is a complicated history. But basically, the Hays Code needed to die. And for it to die is... People had to start making movies to deliberately go against the Hays Code. And we got things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the 70s, Cannibal Holocaust in the 70s. All of a sudden, it's shocking movies and yeah. things like that. But we had Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg's, George Lucas's, who watched movies as kids from like the 40s and 50s and stuff. And now into the 70s, they're like 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and making their own movies, trying to emulate things, but now they didn't have the code. Basically, Hayes Code made all these rules, but because of like things like the French New Wave, people are like, we need to stop doing that and start doing what those guys are doing and start, we got to start making different types of movies. Anyway, that was a... Yeah. I don't even know what that was. That was awesome. That was so, so then now we're at the point the Hayes Code ended in the 70s, apparently. Yeah, like 60, somewhere in there, yeah. With, and was replaced, I'm assuming, with the rating system. Yeah, the MPAA. Right. Do you, how do so you feel about that? We're now, I think they need to fix it, but that's a, we can we can go on a rant about that on a different one. <laughs> you can tell we're, we're, we've we're already, already talked about Winter's Bone. <laughs> no, I think this is awesome. We're, we'll get to it, I promise. Um, so are we not now at the point where we've pushed... Okay. Every single... Social pendulums. Social changes are always pendulums. Yeah. Um, and so are we not at the end of the swing? We've... we. I mean, we've had, you know, everything that was taboo at any point in human history has now been on the big screen. Yeah. Is it not time now to see if we can't be creative without... Throwing blood all over everything or, you know, TNA all over everywhere. Isn't it time to see if, can we be creative without curse words that are no longer powerful because they've been so overused that they don't mean anything anymore? I think it's time to swing it back, Hollywood. Two things. Well, I think you're, I think we're seeing that right now. Like I said, like on our first episode, I think. There is, like, a movement of why do we need sex scenes in movies? Like, by young people. No, no, there's, like, a teenage push of, like, uh, we don't need to see these sex scenes. Because I think it's come from having to live through, like, the Me Too movement. You're like, hey, you're telling us this is important, but how come it, how come? I think that's part of it. Um, And I'll see people on Twitter, or I have seen, where it's like, why do these people want the Hays Code back and stuff like that? You know, I think we're seeing it. Uh, violence, I don't know. It's because we've killed creativity. Is creativity dead? That's We almost named our podcast that. We did. And it wasn't a creative title. No. <laughs> so we got to swing it back. Like I already said, because we have gotten to the point where if we need big emotion, 
Yeah. It's going to be one of three things. We can't, we can no longer create big emotion just like without some kind of sex or extreme violence or language. I mean, and there are obvious exceptions, yeah. um, but I mean, if we look at your, you know, favorite series, John Wick. John Wick is um, good. That's absurd. That's part There's of it. There's nothing it's... about that movie that isn't violent from all four. I haven't seen the fourth you one. You need to see the no, fourth not, one. The anyhow. fourth one's so good. So, anyhow, we need to swing this back to Winter's Bone. So, to tie this back into Winter's Bone, <laughs> Winter's Bone for me is a five-star perfect movie with... One exception that we'll talk about kind of at the end, probably. The negatives. The negatives, right. For me, it is a perfect movie because there is so much power, so much tension, um, so much cultural and power and analysis going on in this movie, and there's no violence. The only violent parts are parts that we don't even see. We just yeah. see the aftermath. Yeah. There's no sex. We don't need to throw in a sex scene like her getting raped by someone or whatever the crap. All of the power is in the acting and the writing and in the interplay between the people. Yeah. That's a powerful movie. So, I love this movie. Here's what I like about this movie. It obviously had a low budget. And um, most of these actors are not actors. They're like normal day people. You go on their IMDb, they've been in this movie, and that's it. Which I think is kind of cool. I mean, there's Jennifer Lawrence. She's the breakout star. After this, I, I have to say, though, that like, her first role <laughs> is in Monk. <laughs> and you don't even see her face. She's the mascot. Right. <laughs> she jumps on Monk's back as, like, the mascot. The birth of a star. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She's in some... Small stuff here and there than this movie. And then she got two major franchises. And then her Oscar, like, within the next couple of years. Yeah. For Silver Linings Playbook. So this movie launched yeah. her. Yeah. No sex. No violence. Some, like, apparently some language. But if you look at what are, what's her franchises. X-Men, no sex. Yeah. No extreme violence. Right. Um... And then, uh, oh, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make the violent, oh, but, it, it, I mean, there's... Mm. Haven't you ever been disappointed with the violent scene, though? It's like, man, maybe that would have been better if it was a little bit more violent. No. Like Hunger Games? No. Perchance? No. <laughs> I don't know. Crying for blood. Yes, I you are. I don't even... So, no-name actors... They just look like normal people. Yeah. I like that they look like normal people. Yeah. I like that this is a mystery because she's finding clues, but she's not, it's like the neo-north thing we said. And I want to shout out a, a different movie it reminded me of. And the only real connection is they're teenagers solving a mystery. This one is like, where's my dad? But the other one, Brick by Ryan Johnson, his first movie, where that's about like, it's like make. It's not making fun of detectives. It's like this is a detective movie, where he's finding this clue why his friend died, and uncover stuff. But they talk like old timey detectives and stuff, hmm. and they're in high school and things. I thought you were gonna say Scooby Doo, so <laughs> I just said Brick. Man, Ryan Johnson should make a Scooby Doo movie. <laughs> Ryan Johnson, he did like Brothers Bloom, a movie I love, but he eventually does. Looper, science fiction, and then Disney's like, 
want to do Star Wars, the biggest franchise ever. And then he made the movie that broke the franchise. Whoops. And I can't wait when we get to Star Wars eventually. We need to do not just Jason's choice, but Ryan's choice. These are all your choices. (laughs) I know. But sometimes I'm like, we should watch that movie. But like (laughs) Ryan Johnson, then he does Knives Out and things. I guess here's a, a cool point. If you can make a great movie with no budget, that really shows your skill. Yeah. And no sex and no violence. Okay. But. <laughs> okay, movie. I'll stop beating the horse. Because <laughs> we looked it up. $2 million roughly to make this movie. Yep. Dirt cheap for a movie. Yeah. Um, and there are great movies that don't need big budgets, special effects, big crews. You can still be engaging. This is a great example. Yeah. I agree. I also. How the people's houses look. They must be real houses with real cars and all this junk in the yard that must be what the actual house is and they're just using the house if not that's incredible set design like yeah <laughs> it's so true you see houses like that people live like this yeah <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> i i've seen it you've seen it people yeah. live like this and it looks like real life which is cool yeah i mean the whole movie it's backwards Missouri. Missouri. Um, yeah. I say, I so, say, I the, say. <laughs> so the whole thing takes place in backwoods, Missouri. Um, and there's really just this little line of houses going up the hill, progressing from I'm the peon up the hill um, oh. with increasing <laughs> power, peon, P-E-O-N, which means I'm the lowest on the totem pole. French? Not like what it sounds like. Anyhow. No, that's... What? Hold on. It's called that because... People used to pee on... Isn't that... Peasants? Isn't that... I have no idea. We gotta look up... The etymology of The etymology of pee Anyhow. And so, yeah, it's a very limited set, and I I think you're probably right. Here's what I like the most. Because uh, she's trying to find her dad, and there's... The, we find out he cooks meth. And there's other people that cook meth. And then that there's this whole system of people. And there's the guy who's in charge, Thump. Thump or Thumb? Thump. Thump. He's, she's not allowed to see him at first. He's too important. And then she finds him, goes to his house again, gets beat up, and then we see Thump. And that's where she's beaten up. We don't see it. Like you said, there's no violence. But this guy walks in, and he looks awesome. And I, if this was like a big budget movie, this actor would have been like a big name. Like, let me do my one day of work to come in with my presence to be this big bad guy because that's all you need. Like, this is the king. Uh, What I love is it's this whole system. It reminded me, which might sound crazy, of Game of Thrones. Where in Game of Thrones, where... People have all these allegiances and alliances and this order of hierarchy that you have to deal with. It's It felt similar. Like, there's people work for these people, and they all work for Thump, and he's the king, and they respect him. There's, like, if you she broke their rules, and so they took her and beat her and considered killing her because mm-hmm. she wasn't obeying their rules, not the laws of, the, of Missouri or whatever, the rules of these people who make meth. And it's, you can tell, like, they respect and honor Thump. They have the rules they live by. And another good example, maybe not a good example, but it takes place in the same location as the show Ozark. 
Yeah. Uh, like laundering money where it's you have to live by these rules or else and there's all these organizations but it's cool like it's so low budget it's a small movie it's a simple movie like i said the plot is she's trying to find her dad that's it there's not like a b plot it's just her trying to find her straightforward and she has to deal with this system that's a cool thing to happen in this movie yeah so yeah so in my english class one of the things that we look at is culture and we have this system of analyzing what are called cultural orientations. Is this culture of the real? Sure. <laughs> this is the new culture of the real. Um, and so one of the, one like there are two that are pertinent to I think what you're saying here. One is communication. So American society generally is, is pretty dang direct. If you piss somebody off, they're going to let you know. Mm-hmm. This little sub-society... This subculture is the opposite of that. And yeah. so in some ways, Re, who's the, the main character, Jennifer J-Law. Lawrence's J-Law, yes, is learning how to be a part of this culture mm-hmm. as the movie progresses. Yeah. Um, and there's all of this completely indirect communication. Um, and then the rules, like there's, there's no exceptions. So the other cultural orientation is, are there exceptions to the rules or are they universal? In this case, they seem to be very strongly universal rules. No matter who you are, no matter how important you are, you will obey these rules yeah. or you will end up feeding the hogs. Or the fish. Or the fish, Duh. as it may be. <laughs> so, yeah, you've pointed to one of the things I love about this. Is it so extreme in terms of culture? Yeah. Uh, especially compared to American, what we consider American culture. Yeah. I wonder how, like, real this is. Because it feels real. And I don't want to seem ignorant like these things don't happen. But I think of, like, you know, Breaking Bad, another show about mm. meth, <laughs> where it's like there are rules to play the game of doing that. Yeah. And consequences to face. Like, how much of this is going on in Missouri right now? I don't know. No. I watched this one with my wife, and I told her, like, I love this movie because it's a culture. Um, And we can look at and think critically about the culture. And she said, well, I don't know if if it actually is a culture or not. So I don't know if there's, like, she had some doubt as to whether this movie actually reflected you know, backwoods Missouri culture. So. I know, I but I also, I don't know. Like Even said, if it doesn't, yeah, it's a beautiful little microcosm for studying culture and how it affects people. So I guess I'm not to throw postmodernism again. This take on America, like it's not as good as it seems, type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. That's all I'm going to say about postmodernism right now. <laughs> well, I mean, this movie suggests that, yeah, there's some, some um, like a dark underbelly or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Feels that way sometimes, maybe. But by the end, there's also some hope. Yeah. So. My m- other main positive is I've used this in my film class, showing the first five minutes, because you get the vibe of this movie. So it's just, this is what you're going to get, and that's what you get. So it does a, it's like a good example of like, 
if you don't like the first five minutes, you might not like this movie. Yeah. You know, maybe. But anyway, um, I've used this in class before, at least once. <laughs> maybe I don't do it every time. But. You should. <laughs> maybe. You should. Do you have any more positives or do you want to... Like, I don't... Uh, everything. Yeah. I mean, there's... I. <sighs> Yeah. This is what there's, it was like in just, Avengers when you were like, not... do you guys have more positives? And like, yeah, a lot more. There's <laughs> a lot of good things to say. Fair enough. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is amazing. Yeah. Her performance is amazing. Um, there's the, like, what would be the climax scene at the end. Um, with the winter's bones. Yes, with the winter's, well, okay. So um, she goes through all of this that, yeah. that you've described and... You know, she she gets rebuffed at every stage. She goes to her cousin who sends her back. She goes to her uncle who's like, no, you can't. She keeps going up and up and up. Yeah. She gets the crap beat out of her. There's the scene where, you know, all of the crap beat out of her ers are standing around. <laughs> well said. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> That's a hyphenated word. That's all one word. Um, and, and they're like... Um, what do you want us to do with you? And and J-Law says, or Reese says, yeah, I guess you should kill me. And the lady that beat her up is like, yeah, we already thought about that. We were hoping <laughs> you would give us something else. And then she's like, well, maybe, you know, you could help me and you can, you know, save my family and my family's house. And so they're like, yeah, well, whatever. And so she goes back to her house and then the next day, these women show up that have beat her up and say, like, we're going to help. And they take her out into the woods. They bag her, take her out. They're in this boat in the middle of nowhere. And they row over to this spot. And the lady's like, there's your dad. Reach down and grab him. And, she, you know, she's like, uh, like, I don't want she's like you need to grab him we need to get him so that you can prove that he's dead so that you can keep your house so she grabs him and then this lady starts the chainsaw up and re is like what are you doing and like we need his hands to prove that he's dead and the lady tries to give the chainsaw to to re and she's like i can't cut my dad's hands off and so we get this amazing amazing climax scene where we've got this lady who's basically the dirt bag of the whole movie. She's just like, she's second in command and she's the protector of thump. Anyhow, she's got this chainsaw and she's making Jennifer Lawrence hold Hold her dad's hand. hand. What symbolism is there? (laughs) I, I don't know. Anyway, holding so yeah. the hand while it's getting cut off. Yeah, and and, and this lady is like, and the water spraying. We don't see anything. Yeah. Um, but there's this moment, this like three second moment, um, where I realized that Jennifer Lawrence was going to be an amazing actress. I she gets nominated for this. Yeah. This movie. Yeah, and and like she's holding her dad's hand, and it kind of zooms in on her face and. Everything that you would think that someone would feel, yeah, she portrays, She's and it's good. this amazing moment. Yeah. So if I had to pick one thing that I love about this, it would be that. I have one more positive. It's like their dialogue. 
Because oh yeah, the dialogue awesome. sounds like it's low class, but because it's so different than how normal people talk, <laughs> it's also elevated in a crazy oxymoronic way. Yeah. Uh, I was looking up quotes, by the way. I was, that's what I was looking at on my phone here. Um, oh, I thought you were scrolling. Yeah, TikTok. I was just looking at something more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Call my um, students. Get off your phone, students. I was listening. I was listening. Uh, <laughs> I can do two things at once. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I don't remember. When the, the sheriff is like, he never backed me down. And Reese says, it looked to me like he did. And the officer, don't you let me, uh, don't you let me hear that's a story getting around. That's a weird way to say what he's saying, yeah. you know? That's what kind of made it sound like more, like to me, maybe uh, almost medieval, I guess. Yeah. But it's low. But I saw a quote. That I wanted to bring up to you because I it's I think an idea it sets off for the rest of the movie, where they see their neighbor they have the neighbor has a deer or something, oh, and the where's the quote maybe they'll share some of that with us and Reese says that could be, Sunny maybe we could ask and Reese says never ask for what ought to be offered yeah and I think that is uh, setting up a key theme. Not just for her character, but for the movie. Yeah. Because she needs something, and it ought to be offered, I suppose. Like, <laughs> where your dead dad is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I guess, yeah, does that define her character, that one line? Never ask for something that ought to be offered? I'm trying to. Uh, that's I'm, a super interesting... I'm trying to... Because that... So is that why it's so hard for her at every step? Because she feels like her family should give this to us. She oh, should yeah. not have to be begging for it. She should not have to be going to these lengths. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's so hard for her at every stage. To give up. Yeah, that's a super good take. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. So the dialogue, for me, I think is another part of of creating the culture and solidifying the culture. Yeah. Like if I went into this culture speaking the way that I do... You speak good. Yeah, I speak goodly. Um, <laughs> I pronunciate everything correctly. Speaking like that, I'm not a part of that culture um, because the because of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's everything about this group of people. Yeah, is set up to exclude Re. everyone else. Everyone Re else. and but yeah. Re specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Cool. So what did you hate? <clears throat> I didn't hate it. Dislike. I, I mean, on Letterbox. Uh, follow me, Mr. Shy Righthead. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, I, only, I gave it four stars, but I, there were which pe- is crazy. There are people. You always that, say that's crazy. <laughs> as as we always say, famously. <laughs> it has a three point five average on Letterbox, which is crazy. <laughs> Stop. I guess, okay, one thing I noticed, I, it's not a deal breaker for me, but it's probably because of budgetary issues. The lighting, especially outside scenes, maybe makes it look a little bit flat or something. You're like, oh, this kind of seems like a, I don't know, what I don't want to say looks cheap, but maybe like how a TV show could light an outside scene. But it's not a deal breaker for me. My main problem is like, two ladies who beat her up come at the end to kind of like, well, here's where your dad is. Let's not only take you there, but help you figure it out. And I know that you can reason it away with logic. <laughs> but it felt cheap at the time. So yeah. that's why I was like, eh, 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, <laughs> it's still yours. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, you prove your dad is dead. Here's money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. At the very end. Yeah. Not that. It, once again, it explains where it comes from. It's not like a deus ex machina. Um, it's just like, here is the money and your life will be a little bit better now. Not only knowing where your dad is, you got to keep the house, got to keep raising your siblings. Here's some more money. Yeah, if I had to pick one thing, it would be that. Like the very, very end when that happens. Yeah. I felt like that kind of robbed re of... Robbery. <laughs> robbed the main <laughs> character, whose name is Re, of her, like victory because she worked so hard for so long to keep the farm and then all of a sudden she's got yeah all this all this money i was gonna say i think there's a few times you can tell people are acting (laughs) oh really extras but that's like a nip and nitpicks are not should not be considered for plot related move like I don't know. People are so dumb when they rate movies. If you rate a movie out of 100, don't do that. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, I This mean, is a 75 out of 100. Like, come on. <laughs> this is a 1.23, I think. Or 3 point. When you get to 3, just do 5 stars. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that seems like a personal yeah, rant. Yeah, it, it drives me insane when it's like this movie's 82 out of 100. What is this, math? <laughs> Math equations to rate the, how this movie, this art affected this you. Art. Yeah. This is seven point twenty three, I think. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so. No. So like. Like, be clear about what you feel about these people. I mean, you're. Kind I of think people like that's hide, a nitpick. You're hiding your and true feelings. That means it's not a perfect one hundred. Movies shouldn't be rated out of a hundred. Okay. I mean, like I said, if you want five things to look at to rate movies, I said that the last episode. You did. Music and sound is one. Cinematography, dialogue, acting, and editing, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know, you can have your own systems, but if you don't know where to start, start with how those things affect your movie. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, it's a good movie, even though some of it doesn't look great and maybe some of the extras aren't the best at delivering their lines or something. Yeah. Whatevs. So, for me, this is a 94 out of 100 because <laughs> I, I have to say the lighting um, actually for... <laughs> the lighting for me actually reinforced... <laughs> Stop. All right. No, I'm for real. The philosophy of the No. Right. The lighting reinforces the the poorness of it. It was actually I thought watching this for the first time, I thought it was a choice that they made. Yeah. Um because the whole movie feels like it could have been made with 80s quality film, 80s quality cameras. Because that's all they could afford. Yeah. Um, and so I thought the lighting was a choice, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, you hated it. No. It, it dropped it to an 88 gosh. out of 100 <laughs> for you. So the, uh, Some people it is important. Yeah. Like I said in the Avengers episode, that people criticize the lighting because yeah. Joss Whedon does 
TV, and that's what they connect it to. But, you know, not as important to me unless it's uber distracting. For me, it was a huge plus. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, negatives, I don't... Other than the very, very, very end, I don't really... Yeah. It's I so thought five it was pretty close to perfect. 94 out of 100, like oh I said. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, just with that ending there. So, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, let's move into the, uh, to the philosophy of the real. So, you have a... A hot take on the philosophy of the real. Can you set me up? What's the dessert of the real? Um, since this is my choice, I get to do the dessert of the real. You know, the, you, uh, we both can do dessert no, of the real. No, I'm not ever doing the dessert of the real for a Marvel oh movie. I protest desserts in Marvel movies. So, the dessert of the real, uh, I think uh, there's only one choice here. Even though there's lots of food, the dessert of the real f- for Winter's Bone is squirrels. Yes. Um, That's the best one. By yeah, way. it is. Oh, thank you. That, <laughs> so the, you're the expert of the dessert. I'm the rookie <laughs> dessert. This is only my second dessert, so I hope you, you guys you know, are nice you, to me. If you break it down, whenever <laughs> characters eat meals together, they're really having communion with each other. And we all eat meals every day. It's such a normal experience. So... Pay attention how characters <laughs> eat their meals, especially with others, because they're revealing themselves aside to the other characters, and we should pay attention to meals. It's not just some flimsy thing we throw into the wind. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing to look at and analyze deets, okay? Okay. <laughs> ah. Dang it. (laughs) (coughs) Stop Uh, laughing. (coughs) (coughs) I couldn't agree more, Ryan. (laughs) So in this case, um, yeah, so the... (coughs) (laughs) Stop! (laughs) Okay, so in this case, they're out of food. Uh, there's this moment they've cooked their last potato. Nobody's brought them food for a while, and so they have to, uh, yeah, they have to go hunting. So we get this beautiful scene with Reed teaching her little brother how to hunt squirrels. Yeah. And then we get this less beautiful scene where they, you know, prepare the squirrels to eat. And yeah. so we've got, you know, them pulling the skin. I'm pretty sure. I put money that they're real. Yeah, they've got to be real squirrels. Yeah. And so they really skin the squirrel. And then Ree's like, okay, and now you have to take the guts out. And the kid's like, I don't want to. And she's like, well, you have to. You have to learn how to do this. And he's like, I don't want it. So she grabs his hand, sticks it in the guts <laughs> of the squirrel, and he pulls out. And this is long string of intestines. Yeah. Um, and then they fry him up. So that's yeah. the dessert of the real. Perfect. <laughs> that that transitions perfectly to my philosophy of the real. Before we get to yours, in a brand new segment, Dietz likes to call the ethics of the real. <laughs> What's your philosophy of the real? Ryan? Okay, so I, I had this thought. Um, because there is a dream sequence. She gets on the head or something, and when she wakes up, she's been beaten up or something. But we get the only abstract surrealistic moment in the movie it's black and white the aspect ratio changes and we see a bunch of images we see the trees we see crows we see squirrels 
and we hear a chainsaw and like smoke and stuff. And part of my brain's like, what does this all mean? What can this mean? Like, what's the connection? Why did they do this? And part of it is like just surface level. This is what you see when you get knocked out. It's like a dream. It's whatevs. Then a little bit deeper, it's setting up this chainsaw is going to be important for later on when cutting hands off and stuff. But we kept seeing the squirrels and the birds. So I think the birds might be like the family after them. But the squirrels, this is my take. I'm kind of proud of this too. We're the squirrels. Or they're the squirrels. Like this family. Because uh, they, they could only afford to eat squirrels that they hunt. So it represents how poor they are. And that they're like, you know, it thinks a squirrel is high and mighty, you know? Rats with bushy tails. <laughs> so I think the squirrels represent them. And uh, if you're a little bit richer, you, you're you the deer meat because their neighbors had a deer. But if you're the richest, you have cows. Because Thump, he owns cows. He's buying cows when we see him at first. He's at the auction. And if you watch that scene when Ree's chasing him down, it's shot a specific way. It's like her, cow, in a cage. Uh, then maybe Thump, then cow. Like we keep seeing the cows. He owns the most meat. And they own the least meat, just these squirrels. Because I was thinking about this movie with a Marxist lens, where it's, you know what? Can you give us a Marxist lens definition? Um, so the literary criticism lenses yeah. are like we put on these glass sets of glasses and look at the world through them. So the Marxist lens is all about class, high class, low class. Yeah. And who controls the means of production, like the means of making money. And how does the high class use their money as they interact with the low class? That's a Marxist yeah. analysis. Named after the Marx brothers, of course. Yeah, of course. Groucho, <laughs> I think, first came up with yeah. the Marxist <laughs> the lens. The only significant Marx from history. Uh, anyway, so I was like, they're obviously poor. The thing is, it's not fun being poor. I, you know, kind of poor. <laughs> not not super wealthy myself. And I was just kind of connecting, I think, with Ree, because she's doing it all for family. You know, she doesn't have a lot, but she has them. She's willing to sign up for the army just to get money ultimately for them and her mom. And, like, she can't get a foot up. Like, I think it's implied she dropped out of high school. Like, she's looking in the windows because she has to take care of her family and her house. It's just this whole system is working against her, not just the government, but her like extended family and these neighbors and all these meth people. And it's like, in real life, that's what it feels like sometimes. You need to get beat up to make it, or at least it feels that way. Yeah. Or, it, you know, you don't have a lot, but if you have, you know, you have your family, then, you know, you're rich at heart or whatever. <laughs> In fact, I'll say this. This movie inspired me to watch a movie I also hadn't seen. It affected me so much this how, I guess, how poor they were, but, like, the, she was fighting for her life. So, yeah, it's not a bad movie by any means. But I was just, I connected this idea of how you make it in life and you get beat up in life. So I was like, oh, I, I want to finally watch Nomadland, which you haven't seen. I have not. You haven't even heard of it, I don't think. No. It won Best Picture the year it came out, a little year called 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I was still recovering lot, from COVID. A lot was something. going on. <clears throat> so I was like, I want to, you know, and, and see this other movie that depicts this poor 
uh, lifestyle. But the difference was I got so angry at Nomadland because they also use real life people that are not actors. Uh, and I guess the the difference for me was I saw Frances McDormand, an actress I like for the record, but I couldn't just, my brain couldn't disconnect. This is an award-winning actress with real life poor people and that's not real. And she's like, I don't know, parading with poor people who actually live this way, these nomads and stuff. As opposed to, I was like, yeah, but people are poor. Like, is it so hard to make it in real life? And Re and her family, like, are fighting for their lives. And I just, it was, I felt connected to them. I don't know how Marxist that is. It's just, <laughs> they're poor and society beats them down. Well, I mean, <laughs> and they're squirrels. If you're <laughs> part you of the lower class, then yeah. I you recognize know. your story. <laughs> so that kind of transitions to my philosopher. Take it. Philosophy of the real. I chose a, a lit crit lens, literary criticism lens as oh, well. Yeah, the kids didn't know what you were talking feminist, about. Feminist, <laughs> feminist criticism. One of the things you mentioned uh, when we were talking about, you know, the power of women, uh, you mentioned in later Marvel movies that... Yeah, it's like, how do you show a strong female character? A lot of times in action movies, the female character is doing what the male characters can do. Yeah, so we just make a male. Yeah, it's... Like, the implication there is that women aren't strong. Yeah. Like, they're not strong inherently. Um, and so, from a feminist perspective, the reason I love this movie is I have never seen another movie that does a better job showing the strength of women. Like, specifically, women are better nurturers uh, than men. And so in this movie, what makes Reese so incredibly powerful mm -hmm. is she embraces that part of her femaleness. She is the uber nurturer. And so every step of this is, is her nurturing and using her power as a nurturer to provide for her family. And so the reason why she keeps going and going and going and going and going and willing to even to, you know, join the army, to be beaten up, potentially to be killed, is because she is so powerful as a woman. She's a n powerful nurturer. And ultimately, I think the, when the women that beat her up, after they beat her up, they recognized in her something that was stronger than they had mm -hmm. because those women that beat her up are basically performing male roles and so the from a feminist perspective i think the reason why they ultimately give her her father's hands is because they recognize that she's stronger than them yeah she's more powerful than them because she's not giving up her femininity yeah and selling out her femininity and so i I love this movie for that. Uh, we have so many movies where women are either just objects in the background yeah. or, like you said with the Marvel franchise, they are men with boobs or something. Um, <laughs> no, there's literally a part. Never mind. I won't. Never mind. Anyhow, so that's my, my take, my philosopher of the real uh, for this movie. So, um, as Ryan mentioned, I'll abbreviate this. Um, also, one of the other things that we do in my 
English classes. So we talk about ethics. The ethics of the real. Gotta yes, welcome the to the ethics of the real. Yeah, uh, I don't know if this will show up again, but here we are. There are dozens of different ethical schools. Uh, we focus in my class on nine of them, one of which is called the loyalist ethic, which means um, if you're trying to decide what's right and wrong, you decide what's right and wrong based on what's best for your family or your group, your friend group, whatever, which on the surface sounds great. You're taking care of your people. Another, other, other, other reason I love this movie is because it, it does a marvelous job of illustrating the pros and cons of loyalist ethics. So the pros of loyalist ethics, re does everything that she does because she feels it's right for her family. Mm. And it enables her to have this righteous fury, which carries her through all of the crap that everyone is putting her through. On the flip side, everything that everyone else does in this movie is also powered by loyalist ethics. It's also right because they're doing it to protect their family. Yeah. So, you know, snorting drugs, making drugs, you know, killing people, burying them, cutting hands off yeah. is all ethical through the loyalist lens. Right. And so what I, th- I feel this movie helps us to see is that loyalist ethics is kind of a second tier ethics. Uh-huh. If that's the only way that you choose what's right and wrong, you're going to end up doing things that are horrible. I just like, but what if the thing that you're loyal to gives you the money? Like, you know, if you're like, like Godfather, you're a guy who pays you. Yeah. You know, and he's also your dad. But you're going to do horrible things. Yeah, but if you get money out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a hardcore Marxist. It's all about climbing into the upper class. No, I'm just hardcore poor, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the ethics of the real. So this is a great movie to show the, the weakness of, I guess what in high school is basically is peer pressure. Yeah. Uh, peer pressure is based on loyalist ethics. Mm. And so if you're in high school and you're subjected to peer pressure, this is a great movie to show you that just because your friends say to do it, it might not be right. Yeah. It might be a horrible thing to do. Right. Um, and so having an, a higher level of ethics, uh, which we'll probably get to in later episodes, yeah, to, a to, lot of ethics in Marvel to, to supplement your loyalist ethics <laughs> um, is generally speaking going to be a good idea. So do you have any final takes on this fantastic piece of cinema? Uh, final takes? Mm, no. Uh, good movie. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, cool. I think that's the best take of the, of the podcast so far, I think. I think it's weird the director didn't go on to make a lot more movies. Yeah. She like, did one more movie or something. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you've made a perfect movie. <laughs> like, yeah. What else are yeah. you going to do? And I wish that more... okay so this is one of my tirades i wish more you know what eventually become franchises would just stop it you've made a perfect movie stop it we don't need a trashy piece of crap sequel i'm just saying why are you we need to end this and you keep saying things i need to like you don't even fix it okay here's the thing about sequels because there are great sequels there are and part of the reason they're great is because we don't need the time to, like, introduce who the characters are and what their deal is. Sure. That's why Empire Strikes 
back is so good because like that's not a sequel. That what do you mean? That's not. It's a, a continuation sequel. of that's the story. That's a sequel. That's what a sequel is called. No, it's part two. No, a sequel. That's, oh my gosh, what do you mean? That's not a sequel. <laughs> a sequel is when oh we make goodness. a movie. We made a lot thing. of money off of this movie, so let's make another one so we can make more money. That's a sequel. In Not my that definition. we have time for this. We do. We have part all the time. Part of the reason the MCU is great, I mean, with an asterisk right there. Yes. <laughs> the asterisk. Which is say. bigger than the word great. <laughs> Which is a funny visual. Because, <laughs> I, like I said, like, <laughs> there's, anyway, anyway, it's like, it fills all this, it's like watching a comic book. Comic books have a lot of, Things that you know, they're part of the reason it's cool is because like they're connected. <sighs> I don't want to be the post child to defend sequels, but there are some good sequels out there. Yeah, but there are like I don't know, ninety eight out of a hundred right. sequels. This is are the problem. Crap. You're older than I am. You had to suffer through like a hundred Nightmare on Elm Streets, uh, yes. Friday the Thirteenth. Yes. Um. What? Uh, what's the other big one? I'm missing. Halloween. Here. Halloween's. So you got sequeled out early on, and none of those were good sequels. Okay, give me give me ten good sequels in the last twenty years. In the last twenty years, besides John Wick. <laughs> besides, well, that that ends the conversation right there. John Wick is a good sequel. No, we're done. Like, let's like, dig we're done. deeper and no. let's expand this world that we like to be dig in. Dig deeper oh into the gosh. gold mine is what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, because people like it, and they like expanding <laughs> and exploring the world that they've established. Um, so here, here I got, these are the Toy sequels. Story 3. Okay, these are the, yes, Toy Story. The Planet of the Apes trilogy. The, those are not sequels. What do you mean they're not sequels? They're <laughs> continuations <laughs> of that story. What the heck? <laughs> I don't even know. If there's not a two. I just learned something <laughs> about how your brain works. What? <laughs> I, when I, all these all these years, <laughs> you have a different, different connotation of what a sequel means. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back is, is not a sequel? a sequel to Star Wars. What about T2? Is that a continuation? T2 is a sequel. What? It's the rule here. <laughs> What's the rule? <laughs> T2, they got done with Terminator, which basically was not that good of a movie. And then, right. like... 20 right. years if later. If we didn't get a 15. sequel, we wouldn't have gotten a good Terminator okay. movie. But the T2 is the ex- is the reason why it's the exception. Like, it proves the rule. T2 is, in my opinion, the greatest science fiction movie ever made. It, that proves the rule. Like, we didn't get it right the first time. Let's try again. Yeah. It's not like freaking... Okay, here. So, I'll use Fast and the Furious. We made... I mean, there's some problems with Fast and the Furious, but it's a solid first movie. Um, and so then they're like, oh, wow, we made a lot of money. Yeah. Let's make freaking a hundred more of them that get yeah. more and more absurd and more and more Guess stupid what? as it we go along. Two, three. It took four more movies to make a great one, though. <laughs> Fast five we're is not good. Talk, no. Okay, we're not... Anyhow, that's what, uh, I'm, what I'm saying. Spider-Man 2 is good. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You've seen the Dr. Octopus one. No. I don't think I have. That's maybe the best superhero movie ever made. No. That's The Dark Knight. It. Dark Knight's a sequel! Yeah. So, your final take. This is a great movie. Good movie. 
my final take is uh, I think this is a pretty close to perfect movie. The only thing that I would change in this movie is the very end. I think it should have ended with just re-winning. Keeping her farm, keeping the land, and then re has to continue doing the kind of crappy life that she was living before, where they're squeaking by and she continues to be the nurturer. Um, Other than that, this is a perfect movie. Yeah for me pretty good so uh but i will say the reason it didn't win oscars packed year the other things going up for best picture it lost everyone lost to the king's speech but black swan was that year a movie i think is great uh inception was that year 127 hours was that year the social network which probably should have won to be honest and toy story 3 true grit there's a stacked yeah. year it's a lot of good stuff it's a rough year for yeah. this one to be in the oscars yeah anyway um next movie is iron man 3 the last iron man movie the not, last one not the last time we see the character iron oh, man but the last it. movie called iron man rats yeah okay well yeah. i will say i like it well maybe you will like it Cause it's a little bit different. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah. We very much appreciate you listening and, and thinking. Uh, if you like it, go get someone else to listen because they need to think too. Share it. Yeah. Subscribe. Share, five stars, subscribe. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as always, we want to encourage you to think critically about the movies that you watch. Yes. Don't just let them you know, write your brain and tell you how to think and how to believe. Yeah, don't let them uh, watch you. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> think critically. <laughs> and we love you. We do. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>